Points Radio. We bring to you Barfield and Perry. They hella embarrassed, like why did they air it with all of these errors and Buffett and Barrett? You cannot compare it. The kings of this era, there should be a tariff on all of this knowledge. I follow regardless and straight to the point like a crow. Popping and coming, it's losing my oxygen takes that they got made me go. Whoa, so what's a swamp rat gotta do? I'm chasing all of this cheese, even if my competition grew. Deuces to the mean, your boy is never regressing. Off season through the season, 365, 247, and it's one for the money. Two bars on the show. The boys stay ready, swamp rats, let's go. It's the fantasy points, ain't no raggedy joint. And they're mad at me scoring points, but then they're glad that they joined. One for the money, two bars on the show. The boys stay ready, swamp rats, let's go. It's the fantasy points, ain't no raggedy joint. They mad at me scoring points, but then they glad that they joined. See? We'll get going here in three, two, one. What is up? We are back. Two bars is back, baby. We're back. We're better than ever. We're ready for the season. Football is back only a couple of weeks around the corner. So what better time to kick back off two bars and bring in one of our good friends. It's Mr. Athletic, Mr. Jake Seeley, all in kid. Jake, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Although you might say Mr. The Athletic, because I don't know how athletic oh, I, I really am. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I, I was always like somewhat good, like just above average. I'm basically like I'm the 53rd man on the depth chart over here. Oh, you're you're number one on the depth chart in our hearts, Jake. Uh, number one in our <laughs> hearts for sure. That. Excited to talk some ball with you. We're going to talk some projections, uh, your projection process today, and we'll go through that. Scott, get to you, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Just excited. Two bars is back. Yeah, big yeah, big was, day. Yeah, more than uh, more than overdue. Bring it back here for the season. Uh, yeah, man. It's, uh, Can I it's say go time. two terrific okay. beards too? Like I feel subpar <laughs> in that fashion as well compared to you two. Uh, two bars, weird. two beards, two bars, two beards, three boys. Let's go. Uh, yeah, Four wait till like, week, fif- week fifteen, <laughs> and my beard's like down to my neck, and Scott and I are like ready, uh, ready for the off season. But nah, man, I uh, it's good to talk to you. Good to talk ball. We'll go through some projections today, and, and Jake, you uh, you spend a lot of time obviously uh, building projections at The Athletic. It's a big part of what you do. It's obviously a huge part of what we do in fantasy. We'll just get started off the top. Like, is there any difference for you between rankings and projections? And if there are, like, what is that distinction for you? Yeah, it's quite a difference. That's why, so I have my projections, the customizable sheet, as you mentioned, where people can kind of go say, hey, Jake, you're dumb. I I think this is what's gonna happen. And that's what the whole point is, is you can customize it, not just through your scoring, but if you d- disagree with me, and that's why my rankings are actually different than my projections as well, I'm assuming most people are similarly, is the, re- the projections are just going to be points, more than points, more than points, more than points, more than points. It doesn't factor in upside versus risk. It doesn't you know, factor in roster construction. It doesn't factor in a lot of things, which is why I will draft differently than my projections. You know, where somebody might pop off at wide receiver 40 and be like, oh, you know what? The upside for him being wide receiver potentially 20 
is much greater than, yeah, okay, does he probably finish around wide receiver 40, 90 times out of 100? Sure, but the ups, the upside of it, like a Gabe Davis this year is a perfect example. Everybody loved Gabe Davis last year, and obviously we've cooled off of him a little bit. But, you know, projections might spit him out wide receiver 38. But if he gets back to even two years ago as a full-time basis, there's top 20 upside. So I'm going to rank him higher than the projections. I think that's like it absolutely crucial is do not draft off of projections, draft off of rankings. I, I got in, into quite a bit of trouble a, a few years ago being critical of uh, the fantasy pros uh, rankings pro, pro, process uh, or contest. A, a lot of people draft off of that. And I, I just think that's like the absolute worst way to do it because mm-hmm. those rankings are designed to win the contest yeah. where, you know, you, the, the want to be accurate, but that's not how you should draft in fantasy. Remember I'm the upside wins championship guy. So like rounds five beyond, you really want to be focusing only on upside with your projections. And so in that it's like, Oh, uh, James White is the consensus rb 22 and he's being drafted as the rb 29 but i'm like yeah but he's a horrible pick for fantasy because like <laughs> a low-end rb2 is worthless it doesn't even matter if he beats his adp he doesn't have that upside and uh you know no disrespect to the fantasy pros contest but yeah like uh the last two times we entered that or th- maybe even three times joe dolan yeah. i think won it but like you're not drafting off of our projections you're you're taking an l that's minus ev if you're doing that i think gabe davis was a great example another one is like isaiah likely it's like what do you project for isaiah likely it's like uh 2.5 catches per game and a tight end uh 30 finish something like that it's like okay but what if Mark Andrews suffers an injury in week two, then he's a league winner. Then he's an amazing pick in FFPC tight end premium leagues, an amazing pick in underdog uh, tournament formats, probably a bad pick everywhere else. But it's like that upside, whatever your projections say are probably right, but you need to factor in that sort of upside with players like him and Gabe Davis when you're drafting your own leagues. For sure. And I think I think another layer to this and, and Scott, you know, I talk about this all the time is tiered rankings. Like so, so knowing, you know, where certain players go in certain pockets and how you are drafting those players. And Jake, you kind of touched on an important angle with roster construction. Like I, I'm a very dynamic drafter. Like, I, you know, I have my projections, I have my rankings. But, you know, if I start my draft with three receivers you know, I'm probably going to be bumping up a lot of running backs in the fifth and sixth round range. I'm going to be taking those guys. I'm going to be getting my targets slightly ahead of ADP. So it's also a factor of just knowing, you know, who's on your team and, and knowing how you want to build and also your league rules. Like I can't stress this enough, you know, in drafts that you guys are going to be doing in the next two to three weeks as we, as we lead into the season, like if you're in a league where you only start two wide receivers, like you should be bumping up the running backs. And conversely, if you're in a league where you start three or more receivers, you need to be bumping up the receivers way more. So this is, this is a part of the dynamic drafting is like knowing your league rules. I still think is, is the number one edge and and being able to exploit those in your draft is the number one edge. Um, Jake, let's, let's kind of flip the tone. here. I have a a question really quick. who Who are some players that are, you're really struggling with when you're doing your projections where you're like, well, I could see him being this high, or I could see him being this low, maybe like a wide range of outcomes. One player who comes to mind for me is Aaron Jones, uh, 2019, 16 rushing touchdowns, then nine, then four, then last year, two. Uh, gets a lot of targets, probably 50-50 with A.J. Dillon in terms of carries, but 
Last year, A.J. Dillon had like five times as many carries inside the five-yard line. What should Green Bay do? The, you know, Aaron Jones is one of the most efficient touchdown scorers of all time, great inside the red zone. Like He should, in my opinion, get that role, but it's just I don't think they want that for him. And, and I don't know how to tackle that from a projection standpoint. I feel like if you just go right down the middle – then, you know, like you're going to be wrong because, yeah, you know, like if he doesn't get that role, he's a wasted pick. If he does, you know, he's a, a great value. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I would say the player and I, I'm you, inside my head over here, my article that's coming out this week is where my projections in ADP are the biggest gap differences. And that's the article I have. One of them at wide receiver is Debo Samuel. That's the one guy I really don't know what to do with because of what you just said. Like uh, my projections have him as wide receiver 28. Is there upside for top 15? Yes. Is there a floor where he's not even 28? Because what we're sitting here looking at is we got a very full, small sample of Brock Purdy. But if we take that sample, what did Brock Purdy tell us? Is George Kittle in the red zones is number one. Brandon Ayuk's is number one wide receiver. And Debo Samuel's not used as the backfield as much because of Christian McCaffrey. But is it, you know, it's kind of the chicken and the egg. Is it because Debo wasn't 100% healthy and those touches out of the backfield are really evaporated and it's only going to be one or two? Or is that going to come back around and maybe Eli Mitchell's not even a factor unless Christian McCaffrey gets hurt? Does Brock Purdy adjust and now Debo sees more targets? There's like There is such a wide range where I could see Debo yeah. finishing 12th and I could see Debo finishing 48th. And uh, as you said, kind of look, if you play the middle ground, Debo at 28th is wrong. He's either too high or too low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Debo. I think Debo has been a, a linchpin guy for a lot of people that have struggled to figure out in the third round. I've been higher on him uh, in the five games that that Brock Purdy, McCaffrey, and Debo all played together. Debo led the team in targets per route run by far, zero point two six over Ayuk and Kittle at zero point one nine. And then, like you mentioned, you know Debo is, uh, you know, he was hurt all last year at three different injuries, knee, hamstring, and I think he hurt his ankle too. Uh, you know, Ayuk's awesome, like for sure. Yeah. Uh, but Debo to me is still still the wide receiver one. But he's he's tricky, man. And I, I want to I wanted to bring up kind of that whole pocket, really. Like that third to fourth, fifth round range is really t- tricky, and especially for running backs. And I know Debo's not a running back anymore. Uh, you know, he's not doing the wide back thing anymore. He's he's probably going to strictly be a wide receiver. But who are some of the running backs in that kind of like third, fourth, fifth round pocket that either project well? And therefore, they're higher in your rankings. Or are there any guys that you have like big stands on, kind of in that in that pocket for running backs? Yeah. So I'm gonna save one for a question later when we have a committee backfield situation that we're trying to parse through because there's one that I really love in there. But if we hit to the top end of it, it's Damian Pierce is one that I've been yeah. a lot higher. I was a lot higher on him last year. I said talent's gonna win out in this backfield, uh, similar to Tyler Algier, who's now taking a backseat to some. Terrific running back. But Damian Pierce, we knew the question was going to be, is he going to get the third down work? Is Devin Singletary brought in to be a timeshare piece? What's going to happen? The first game in the preseason, Devin Singletary profiled. And again, we're trying to parse through what preseason really is. But it at least looks like he's the backup plan. And it's more Agumba Wally might be the pass catcher. And then we see week two, and it's ho. Damian Pierce is staying on the field for third downs, staying for that third and long. And if he's a bell cow, which is that's what I've been projecting and profiling him as, Damian Pierce, even on the Houston Texans, I mean, we were talking about top 15 potential running back, and at worst case, he's probably RB 16, maybe, worst case scenario. Obviously, injury aside, but 
I'm super high on him in that range. Uh, I, I hate to go back to the Cam Akers well after what happened last year, promoting him in the fifth round and everybody hates me. I, I don't think I have the right to talk about Cam Akers anymore. Um, but there's one that kind of answers both questions. It goes back to Scott's question about who's somebody like with a range of outcomes that's frustrating me and then so, somebody I'm high on. It's J.K. Dobbins. Like On the one end... I'm like, hey, I don't care if he only gets 200 carries. Mark Ingram got 200 carries, and he was RB10 that year. You're stepping in next to Lamar Jackson. But the other side of it, and for, like, that's not even including the last five games last year where he was amazing. He was an RB1. Uh, it's what's going on. Like, is this a real knee issue, or is this a quote-unquote knee issue, and he was just frustrated about a contract because if it's a real one, and there's been a few people floating out, and I, it's just unquantifiable rumors right now is like the knee keeps swelling up. They're just holding them out because they don't like how, if that's the case, that could be a messy, messy pick. And we go right back down to JK Dobbins hole of, you know, frustration the entire year. Um, a little bit lower than that. I, and this is one I'm coming around slowly on. I was a proponent of pushing back against James Cook because I've been a proponent of saying, you got Josh Allen who runs it in too much. We're going back to the Cam Newton years. Like if we got one running back next to Cam Newton, yay. But it was two. And I was like, Damian Harris has been great at the goal line. But the name is Harris got hurt. And Damian Harris has been still banged up as of today. And now I'm coming around saying, well, if James Cook is the only real threat in that backfield, you know, Josh Allen taking a six, seven, eight rushing touchdowns, I'm okay with because if James Cook is going to get 65% of the touches, I'm okay with that then. But my concern previously was that Damian Harris was going to take too much away from him. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about just two of the players you mentioned one jk dobbins i'm with you he's really tough for me to rank uh i think one thing people are missing is that he's kind of missed all of practice and training camp and that's really bad when there's a brand new offense that i think really hurt darren waller last year just not knowing the nuances of this new josh mcdaniels offense uh and i i think he very well could be in the doghouse and then on top of that uh, you know, he's missed more career games than career games he's played. But you're right. Like the upside is undeniable. He's one of the most efficient runners ever when he's healthy. He looked great at the tail end of last year. There's uh, talks that, you know, Todd Monken wants the running backs more involved in the passing game. He's only ever been a 50-50 committee back, but maybe that changes. And then Damian Pierce is probably the player I've bumped up more than anyone this preseason. I was just projecting a lot more of a committee. I, I don't think Devin Same. Singletary's very good, but I, I, I think he is more of a threat than anyone else he had last year. And, you know, Bobby Slowick coming from this Shanahan run scheme, which is very in favor of committees. And then uh, Matthew Berry put out a tweet where something like, you know, Damian Pierce's ADP makes no sense to me. Uh, he's going to be an every down bell cow back behind a really good offensive line. And uh, so I, I slithered into DMs. I'm like, hey, do you have sources on this? He's like, nope, just that's what I think is going to happen. And so I did a little bit more research and I found a quote from about a week ago. Uh, they asked if Pierce is going to be more involved in the passing game. And he's like, yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. That's why I'm losing weight, man. Bobby Slowick has me running all these routes. And that's encouraging. <laughs> like I, I, I try to underreact to preseason more than definitely not overreact that's bit me more times than not Uh, and sure he's you know gotten like a bell cow role a lot of routes run on obvious passing situations which he didn't get last year but sometimes these coaches just want to like 
see a guy in every snap, then pull him, then put a new running back in, see him on every snap, then pull him. Uh, but this is a player like I, I did go out of my way to bump up over a Cam Akers, who I, I think there's more uncertainty regarding his pass catching usage. Yeah, I've I've bumped up Dame Pierce too. I had similar concerns with you, Scott. This has been a uh, this is a Damian Pierce. Uh, we're a Damian Pierce site for sure. Uh, Brett Whitefield and I were both really, really high on Dame coming out. We both had him at RB3 in our rookie rankings behind Brees and Ken Walker. Uh, so I can I can definitely buy the talent. I thought Singletary would mix in more as like a pass blocker, but if they're truly going to play Pierce all three downs, he's obviously, you know, at RB24 and ADP on underdog all summer. You know, he's been a, a really good value. Dobbins, man, Dobbins is obviously tricky for everybody, but – did you guys know, like, he's only played three games with 60% or more of the snaps? Yeah. Three times yeah. in his entire career. But it's you could like, say with, with a new coaching staff, maybe that changes. So there, there is that sort of hypothetical upside. Um, you, you mentioned you and Brett being so high on Damian Pierce. I, I was a big Damian Pierce guy last year when I put out, you know, my big article. I, I was saying he is the number one must-draft player you can't leave your draft without. He was going round 12 and then he yeah. rose all the way up to like round six. Yeah. Uh, just because like the training camp buzz was so insane, which brings us back to the last running back Sealy mentioned, which is James Cook. Like he's getting the exact same buzz, but there's just not this corresponding ADP jump, yeah. which has me excited. It's like, oh, he's running wide receiver routes, which is what he did in college. He's getting deep targets, which is so rare for a running back. He's their every down back. Like I did not see that. From his profile coming out, like the size concerns, it's, he did get round two capital. Uh, I just didn't see that happening. But like there was with all the Josh Allen concerns, he's a vulture, all that. Uh, we did see Devin Singletary at the tail end of last two years ago with the postseason included. He was averaging over 21 fantasy points per game. He was an uber yeah. bell cow. Uh, so I do I do find myself uh, liking James Cook and the upside there. The one that I to jump in here that I think compares a little bit to Damian Pierce this year uh, mm-hmm. would be Rashad White, a crappy yeah. potential offense, a crappy, I, a potential crappy offense. Keep that one under wraps, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, is like we see the preseason and they're all trying to figure out who's next up behind Rashad White. It's almost like who cares? Because mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Yep. Do we expect it to be a bottom ten, probably even bottom five offense? Just if everything goes haywire, the offensive line has question marks, but as seen with Damian Pierce, I mean, you can be in a crap situation and still produce top 10. It's, it's rare. I actually did a study. You guys remember the late, great Mac Tagliere was the one that he put out an article a bunch of years ago pointing out like how rare it is for a running back to finish top 10 on a bottom 10 offense. And I looked, I just pulled the last five years just to say, like, let's go back and double check if this is still true. And it was the last five years. There's been 10 running backs, an average of two per year on a bottom 10 offense that have finished as RB1s. And it's even worse when you drop down to a bottom five offense. But Rashad White, we're not even like where he's going. He's still like down in the bottom 20s for like somebody that, you know, okay, if it goes wrong, a terrible offense, he's RB17. Like it's still a value for somebody that's going to be touching the ball almost every down. Well, on the field for almost every down, not touching the ball. That would be insane. I, I think there's an, an important exemption there. You know, Christian McCaffrey strikes me as a major outlier. And yeah, that's that nice. <laughs> if you're heavily involved in the passing game, yep. offensive line concerns don't matter. 
game mm-hmm. script does not matter because then you're used as an extension of the, the running game targets and ppr leagues you know this jake worth 2.5 times as much as carries and so that's your path to overcoming all that and that's what we keep hearing with rashad white is he's an incredible receiver that's probably his trump card and uh so to me I think he's maybe the most mispriced running back in all the drafts right now. Yeah, yeah. Rashad is is looking really good. And especially, obviously, since we've seen all these free Asian backs, you know, who scares you? <laughs> really, like, who's left that scares you here? I don't even know if they're really process-wise. I don't even know if there was a back that even scared us. But just looking back at the last, you know, since 2000, Rashad White, uh, one of 16 backs to catch 50 balls as a rookie, uh, as uh, as a rookie running back. So, you know, like you said, Scott, uh, he might only score six, maybe seven touchdowns on the ground. But, you know, if he's walking into 80, 90 targets, he's a very good value. I, I did want to talk about that pocket. And I guess we kind of covered it like the six, seven, eight, nine pocket. Uh, Jake, Jake, you're in on Rashad White. I'm in Rashad White. Scott's gigantically in on Rashad White. <laughs> uh, are there any other guys in that pocket? Any players that you've moved up? based on preseason, based on just like, you know, going through your projections process. Is there any guys, any running backs from, let's say that you previously had in like rounds nine or 10 that you've bumped up or conversely, any guys that you've, you've bumped down? So I have two, well, two, one has stayed higher than this rounds have been. uh, And the other has bumped up a little bit. And that was coming from somebody that was already bumping the second one up, but I'll save him for a second. The first one is Antonio Gibson. I don't understand what happened here. Like, I don't know if, look, and I'm not saying Antonio Gibson is going to be a top 20 running back, but it felt like the past two years, the entire industry was like, it's Antonio Gibson season. He's going to be unleashed. He's going to be unlocked in the passing game. He's going to be and all this kind of great stuff. And then we get the arrival of one of the greatest offensive minds in all of football and Antonio Gibson continue to look great. And all of a sudden people are just like, nah, whatever. Antonio Gibson, RB 32. Did you just call Eric the enemy, one of the greatest offensive minds in football? Yes. Oh, that's a spicy take, Jake. You don't believe it? I mean, I think Matt Nagy was like clearly an incompetent head coach and play caller. (laughs) And Andy Reid seems to think this guy's better than Eric the enemy. So I don't know. These coaches, uh, it's hard moves, to man. not it's look 50-50. really good with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Is my that's concern. fair. I oh, yeah. so here's here's what I'll say. Like, okay, maybe we'll say, can I say top five, top ten, offensive coordinators only? And I like fully. Here, here's why, and we'll sidebar on this real quick because of how he adapted the offense to what was going wrong with the wide receivers and changed it. Like we saw, the offense was broken after the departure of Tyreek Hill, and they kept trying to run the Tyreek Hill offense briefly. And then with the Juju Smith-Schuster, they pulled everything in. They started doing the let's get people open quicker. And once you adapted that offense, we saw Patrick. Everybody, you remember, you guys remember the conversation? Everybody's like, "Man, I took Patrick Mahomes as the first quarterback. What's wrong with Patrick Mahomes? He's broken. He's not the best quarterback anymore." And then he fixed it. So. Again, I mean, maybe did that he was... fix it or did again, again, so it? I said, I said, okay. maybe it's yeah. Mahomes. Okay, like I'll take that as part of it. So I'm not calling him the best. But anyway, point being, like we've been wanting more of Antonio Gibson. And I'm not taking anything away from Brian Robinson. I think Brian Robinson's a great talent as well, especially somebody who said that himself. I was not 100% even coming off the gunshot wound for a couple weeks. Like I still felt it while I was running. But even if it's a one-two punch... We've done the one-two punch with other backfields where Antonio Gibson's the pass catcher and he's in the RB30. So I've been higher on Antonio Gibson this entire time. I feel like he should be higher in general. But the other was, I'm not a Ken Walker guy. Uh, I think Ken Walker, where he excels, 
should show up on the field. He doesn't. He's one of the most inefficient short yardage guys, but that's where he should be good. Like his breakaway plays are still great. That's not going to go away from his game, but he should be better in the short yards than he is. And they draft Charbonnet, who I think is a great pass catcher, somebody who also can run some tough short yards that people kind of overlook because of his pass catching ability. And now Ken Walker has been banged up. Charbonnet's already back on the field. Charbonnet's making plays week in and week out. And how many times have we seen Pete Carroll in the preseason see a new running back flash a couple times and then we're screwed because it's a 50-50 split or whatever. So it's not so much that I think Charbonnet is overtaking Ken Walker or he's going to make Ken Walker irrelevant. But Ken Walker is RB teens and Charbonnet all the way down almost at the 40th running back and like the 90 to 100 range. Like the gap should just be vastly smaller in my opinion for those two. To me, these are best ball guys and not yeah, redraft. Wow. I just question the upside. I think Washington is a one-two-three punch. You called it a one-two punch. A one-two-three punch on a bad team without a quarterback. Um, I don't know. I'm a Chris Rodriguez guy, so maybe I'm overstating his impact. But it really mm-hmm. seemed like the enemy in particular – has a year one role in mind for him. And then Charbonnet, I think there's an injury to Ken Walker. I, I think he's a league winner, but otherwise I, I see them cannibalizing production too much for you to ever really feel comfortable starting them. Uh, Graham, you're the, you're the, the running back guru. What did you see from Charbonnet on tape? Because I, I to be honest, wasn't a huge fan. I like Kendra Miller yeah. uh, a little bit more. Yeah, Charbonnet strikes me as a guy who can do everything pretty well, but nothing extremely well. Like, you know, he's obviously a physical runner. We saw that in the preseason. Uh, But there's just things that Ken Walker does on the field that Charbonnet can't do. And I I definitely grant you that this will probably be some sort of gross committee. And like Ken Walker, you know, the the Seahawks only ran eight plays inside the 10 yard line and called it, you know, eight runs on those. on those plays, like the opportunity for touchdowns just was not there relative to how good the offense was. So I think, you know, there's gonna be some natural, just more touchdown uh, chances for these guys, but yeah, it definitely could be a split. I, I just think Charbonnet is like a solid player. Whereas Ken, Ken Walker, like if we're shooting for upside, like, you know, Walker's got that home run ability. And Jake, I've been saying this, like uh, there's these like new breed of running backs. They're kind of like, the true three outcome running backs I've been calling them, you know, they either strike out, they walk or they hit home runs and Ken Walker's he's the true three outcome runner. Like he's either going to strike I out. He's, I agree. Yeah. He's going to strike out and hit his offensive lineman and go backwards. Uh, he's going to, he's going to walk. He'll have like a three yard run or he's going to hit a home run and he's going to turn in a, what a play that should have only gained three yards into 15. And like, I think that's the difference between he and Charbonnet is like Charbonnet is always going to get with blocked. They have like a nice, kind of consistent guy with that and then you compare it to walker who's actually kind of more the lightning compared to charbonnet's thunder but yeah for fantasy at the end of the day we you know we got to project opportunity we got to project uh touches we got to project red zone touches and this should be a committee yeah. and Jake, i'm not saying what, charbonnet in the fifth i mean he's going yeah. to, you said this the ninth round i'm gonna take a yeah. flyer on it you know what i think he's cole beasley of running backs like he's just going to ch- chip in and produce every single week. And at the end of the year, he's going to finish like RB 36. Oh my God. He needs to grow the hair out and everything. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the Cole Beasley running backs. Um, yeah, Jake, that's like, I think, I think this is kind of just like a more broader point about this year. And this is, you know, we've been talking 25 minutes, basically all about running backs. 
you know, this year is just wide open at running back. You know, it just feels mm-hmm. like after round four, like after, you know, that pocket of like Ramondre and Brees and Najigo, it's just like wide, wide open. And I guess structurally speaking, like what do you have any advice for listeners? Like, you know, this is kind of a different year. Like what what are you doing in your drafts? What you know, and, and are you allowing this kind of like different RB market to change how you draft? Yeah, I think that this is the what we talk about in fantasy all too often. It's cliche, but zig when everybody else is zagging. Uh, the the wide receivers have become almost overinflated at this point, like because it's like oh they're more predictable, they're less likely to get hurt, and we've seen the injury reports from like doctors, even you know on all these sites, but they, there's a point eight difference in the injury rate of top twelve running backs versus top wide receivers. And Scott's smiling because he knows the one that I referenced, and I saw that, and that's why I'm talking about it. And uh, like, but all down the list is it's. Not even this far as you're going, which I'm going to I'm going to answer your question. But when we see the RB12, who is still an RB1 sitting there in almost round four, we've gone too far, people like we're, we've took we've taken the wide receiver predictability. If it's not I'm not saying it's not there and the reliability, it is there, but we've gone too far with it with now we need to start zigging and getting back to running backs. And I'm not saying you have to go running back, running back to start the first two rounds. I would never do that if possible, but it has happened. Uh, but you're talking about, like you said, fourth, fifth, sixth round. We're still talking about Miles Sanders, whether or not you're a fan of him, the work is going to be there. Cam Akers, whether or not you're a fan of him, the work is going to be there. Granted, injuries, passing games, but like you can look at all the other names in this list. We brought up Damian Pierce, who's in the fourth round. Uh, you're talking about Rashad White, who we already brought up. Isaiah Pacheco's back at practice. If he's going to be healthy, the lead option of the Chiefs, even if he's not involved in the passing game. Isaiah Pacheco's down in the seventh round almost. So it's not so much the fact of like, hey, you know, you need to zig and start taking these running backs earlier. It's just now the the opening is there. If you want to still go alpha, whatever you want to call it, wide receiver, I think it's even more available for that roster construction because you could hit wide receiver first two rounds. And if you really don't want, what have you got? You know, no, this is the term. It's the RB dead zone, which is honestly, it's a moving target. Like RB dead zone means Mm -hmm. nothing. It's going to be different in every single draft, but it's generally been those outside the top 20 running backs kind of in that range. But the RB dead zone that we've created as an industry because of that now includes guys with full-time roles. So You can actually dip in and get a solid RB1 and 2 if you still want to go wide receivers in the first two and three rounds. So I like that what it's opened up for us as smart drafters. As Scott said at the very beginning of the, at the show, you echoed it too. It's like you've got to be able to adapt to your drafts. Well, the drafts nowadays in 2023 means adapting and finding a rock-solid RB2 where you used to have to be drafting them in the third or fourth round. I yeah. think uh, something unique about this season is like the most important position in fantasy is like also one of the most difficult. It's like, do you spend an early round pick on Daniel Carlson or Justin Tucker, or do you grab the value <laughs> in Graham Cano? Jake, what are your thoughts? <laughs> oh God, I hate that question. This is a, Pre- band kicker shirt, but the transcend kickers. <laughs> I have T-shirts. If you're going to go to Rotoware, Rotoware is co-sponsored this and has them, so I didn't have to have the supply behind me. But yes, <laughs> uh, the band kickers for life. Just add another flex, please do so. Uh, also, so your waiver wire isn't flush with options to step right in. But good God, don't ever ask me a question like that, man. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, Brandon McManus is looking good, man. I, yeah, I mean, you got to bump him up your projections. You got to bump. I love when people. Jump into my columns like rankings and projections. Like you really won't rank pro- kickers. I'm like, no, this isn't a joke. It's not like I'm sitting here being 
like, no, I'm not going to waste my good time on meaningless junk. Sorry. Can, can yeah, you I know there's people who do it. Plea to like commissioners who are listening to, to, to urge them to abandon the kicker position. Most volatile, least predictive position, right? So there's two, there's the first and foremost thing that I'll say, and if there's a real life kicker out there listening there, but I'm sorry, but their job is dependent on the offense failing. That's first and foremost. If your job <laughs> is dependent on the offense not doing their job, your job sucks. I'm sorry. But the second part about it is I've actually done an article on the app, like why kickers suck. Everybody's like, oh, they're predictable. You know, at DFS, when it was around, I did it on FanDuel. I took advantage when it was back on FanDuel. I took advantage of all the people spending up for the top price kicker. And I took my savings because it is somewhat, you know, predictable from that standpoint, if you're going to do the DFS route. But from a real life standpoint is the best offenses often don't even produce the best kickers because they're scoring touchdowns instead of setting up field goals. So the, the, the variance, I'd rather just uh, add another flex spot. And it all started, for everybody who wants to know, it started the week that Rob Baronis kicked 18 billion field goals. And I lost the matchup watching him score more than every quarterback in existence that week. <laughs> There's your origin story, your Jake Seeley band kicker's origin story. He's still so <laughs> tilted from those days. Want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you, man. I I think there we like experts like us have a massive edge in fantasy. Anyone who reads our stuff does as well. And I like PPR because it makes it more predictable, thus furthering my edge. Uh, and mm. so getting rid of kickers would would help that. I, I knew you would like that question. That was one of the questions <laughs> I added. Um, I was scrolling through your Twitter, uh, trying to come up with. Uh, some more questions. I saw some Justin Ross love, you know, you know, I love me some of that. And then I mm -hmm. saw a graphic uh, based on one of your most recent articles, bold predictions. And like, those are tough articles because you, you really need like, that's the thesis. Like we're, these are bold. That's probably not going to happen, but I could see it happening. Right. And uh, I, I kind of agree with every single, and these all see, seem fairly realistic to me. I'm going to read them down one by one. And again, I, pretty much agree with every single one of these um anthony richardson sets the rookie qb rushing record easy i think he does it nick chubb scores 20 touchdowns i could really see that darren waller dethrones travis kelsey as the top tight end i thought i was <laughs> highest on darren waller in the industry but that is that is a spicy take i don't know i can be that bold <laughs> Jahan dotson is a top 10 wide receiver I could see him being the, the real wide receiver one in this offense. And then Cooper Cup sets the all-time single-season reception and receiving yards marks. Love that, Jake. Full agreement. Yeah. Uh, the the Jahan Dotson one for everybody that wants to fall out of their chair when they go to that article is the comp that like there was the Tyler Lockett comp coming out of college Terry McLaurin uh, all down the list of Sean Jackson and I said well let's take it one step far further let's get nuts let's get crazy <laughs> like, oh boy Antonio Brown and look no he is not Antonio like everybody just like forget this podcast you screw you guys I don't know why you had this <laughs> idiot on your show but I am not calling him Antonio Brown the where I went deeper as you saw in the article about the Antonio Brown part is that. I compared Sam Howell to Ben Roethlisberger coming out of college. Actually, when they were doing the draft that year, I made a joke. I said, just draft the same guy you just had and get Sam Howell, who is bit like Ben Roethlisberger stylistically. Does he ever throw 4,500 yards, 35 touchdowns? Like, you know, probably not. Like, that's a high expectation for any quarterback. 
But the style comparison is why I said, if you look at Jahan Dotson and his style and what he brings and the, being able to separate, but also bring the big plays while being able to separate and what a quarterback like Roethlisberger and who is Sam Howell can turn to as his number one, Terry McLaurin is still going to be good, but Terry McLaurin is going to turn into the Juju Smith-Schuster or the other options outside of Antonio Brown those years. Antonio Brown's role is Jahan Dotson's role. And if you look at last year as the third option to start the season with junk at quarterback, he was number one in end zone targets and end zone receptions were turned into touchdowns, vastly kicking to the curb Terry McLaurin with eight and six. Terry McLaurin had seven and two, two. So I say that even with that mess last year, the number one option, top 10 potential that if you ask me out of my six, which I'd put my money on, if I had to bet one, it would be the Dotson pick. Yeah. Wow. That was probably my, my least favorite, but I, I can make a compelling case as well. Uh, you know, poor quarterback play last year. He dealt with a yeah. lingering hamstring injury. Hamstring injuries tend to linger. That happened weeks four through 12. Uh, but when he was healthy enough to play on just 66% of the team snaps, he averaged 14 fantasy points per game. That was ahead of Michael Pittman, ahead of DK Metcalf, Mike Williams, Terry McLaurin, Chris Olave, Debo Samuel, guys going really early. From week 13 on, he ranked 10th in yards per route run ahead of Terry McLaurin. I, it wouldn't shock me if if this was if Dotson was the leading receiver for the team this yeah. year. My my first take of the offseason is I'm going to have 100% Jahan Dotson in best ball and didn't get there, <laughs> unfortunately. Everybody else is kind of feeling the same way you are, Jake. It's like, you know, Terry McLaurin's awesome. You know, we finally got him a decent quarterback, but so is Jahan Dotson. And, like, you know, we've been high on Dotson's talent since he came out of college, and I, I think there's a real chance this is like a 1A, 1B type of situation. Yeah. Um, Real quick, got to tell you guys about our friend Edwin Porras's new injury-prone draft guide and playbook. It has 40-plus player profiles with injury histories, injury concerns. Uh, Edwin has dealt – he's dug into 10-plus years of NFL data, and he has cut through all of uh, the, the noise and everything you need to know for your injury decisions this season. I edited Edwin's book – uh, personally, he spent a ton of time. There's a ton of excellent, excellent research nuggets, not just like at a player level, but just like article, like worthy uh, uh, anecdotes within the guide. Edwin is selling his book on Shopify. You can go to Edwin's Twitter account. You can find a link at FBreeInjuryDoc. And for listening to this pod, you can get a 25% off code, injuryprone 25 to take 25% off our friend Edwin Porras's injury prone draft guide. Guys, seriously, you, you will probably be buying this every single year. It's uh, it's the nuts. Uh, Jake, before we get you out of here, I want to talk about two extremely tricky backfields that Scott and I have been struggling to project mm -hmm. all off season. Uh, we've been going back and forth on Miami and we've been going back and forth on Chicago. Now we did get a little bit of news. Devon, uh, Devon a chain, Hurt his shoulder in the game over this past weekend. He's week to week. Uh, he might be ready for week one, but at the very least, uh, more mispractice time for him is no good. So with all that being said, where's your vibe on Miami and Chicago? So Miami, I'm gonna, you guys are going to make me sing on your show. I did this on my podcast last year, and it continues to into this season. It's don't go chasing Dolphins running backs. Just, <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not playing this game with the Dolphins running backs because even if you get it right, 
you still might not get it right. And that being said, is like if it is a chain, which we hope for projectability and as a building in the passing game with like that, you still might not get the game right. It's still he still might not be the leading scorer that week. And then we are going to play this chasing your tail game of like, oh, Mostert's the lead. Mostert's been the lead a couple weeks in a row. We did this last year, and then we come out the very next game. Oh, it's not Mostert anymore. Now it's Jeff Wilson, or it's somebody else, or it's Savon Ahmed because that's what they felt like this week. Oh, why? Oh, what tree did Mike McDaniel come from? Like, they we're really surprised by this. So I'm not doing the Dolphins, but if I will, I'll just take the cheapest one. I'll take the flyer on the cheapest one because if I'm wrong, no, okay. The Chicago backfield. This is what I hinted towards earlier in the show. This one I do have a strong stance on, and I will argue this one, and maybe I'm going down the Cam Akers road from last year, and this is the new one, but I don't get the hate of wanting Khalil Herbert. Look, even if he's not involved in the passing game that much, okay, fine, let's only talk about the games where he ran the ball 10-plus times, 50-plus yards in every single one of those, 5.1 yards per carry. We've seen Khalil Herbert work with the first team. Uh, we've seen them trying to get him some passing options in the preseason. Again, maybe that doesn't even carry over. And Rashawn Johnson, sure, better pass blocker, better pass catcher, whatever it want to be. But if you want to talk about pass blocking grades, Khalil Herbert, better last year than Christian McCaffrey, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook. Oh, a bunch of dudes where it doesn't matter that they were middle of the road pass blocking. And I'm not saying Khalil Herbert's a top 10 running back. I'm just saying the hate for him being basically a, what a dead zone beyond he's what round eight still round seven starting to creep up now that people are coming around on him I do have a strong opinion that it is Khalil Herbert with Rashawn Johnson granted he's been fourth so far through the preseason we know that's not true but I think he's going to be a sprinkle and not a significant threat to Khalil Herbert I think Khalil Herbert would have to play poorly a couple weeks in a row before Johnson takes over I think this is Khalil Herbert's backfield 100 percent that's the way I've been leaning, inching towards too. I, I had it projected as like Herbert is the clear one A all off season. Like if there's a guy in this backfield that they're going to give the keys to and just like be the one A week one, it'll be him. And then yeah. as we've gone through this process and we've gone through the preseason, it's like yesterday, you know, Deontay Foreman or, or Saturday, Deontay Foreman was, you know, playing with the second team offense. Roshan Johnson, you know, rookies have to earn it. Yada yada yada. Coach love yeah. coaches love to do that, but Roshan's out there too, and, and they were resting Khalil Herbert. And then when they did play Justin Fields, he was on the field for all of the snaps. And I get it; it's one. It was two drives. They were both extremely weird you know they both have you know more had the long touchdown than herbert did too but then you know it's just it's not just a small sample of usage in preseason it was last year's data i mean no running back was better after contact than Khalil herbert no better no running back was better on zone runs than Khalil herbert and like that's all the bears run so I, I think everything is kind of set up right now for herbert to get get out of the gates really quick and i guess that would be my one concern and i, I have more in an article coming out this week about this backfield and why I'm targeting Khalil Herbert for all the same reasons you are. But my one concern is Roshan Johnson. Like if there's one guy in this backfield that can play on passing downs and kind of give the Bears that versatility of like, hey, we don't know if it's run or pass. It's him. I don't know if the Chicago Bears care about that this year. Like they're going to be passing. <laughs> they're going to be running so, so much. I don't think they care too much about that and care too much about their tells or anything. Uh, that would be my one concern. But Khalil is definitely, definitely somebody who should be coming up in your rankings uh, Don't disagree at all, but I mean, you miss on an eighth round running back. Like pff, we do that every yeah, single year. Yeah, who cares? Year, so. You're gonna yeah, you're gonna do that every year. And those eighth round receivers, man, right now it's like Cortland Sutton and and Elijah. Like I love Elijah Moore, but like there's definitely downside with Elijah Moore. Like yeah. he's, he had 
last no year downside. happened, you know? Oh gosh. Yeah. He's Jerry I love Elijah team. Moore. My, my downside is like, is he only going to be out there for three wide? That, that's it's just a snap problem. That is like, yeah. it's like yeah, 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 that's a real concern. Yeah. That is that's my only concern. Is if, if it's DPJ and Cooper, then that's probably not great. But regardless, yeah, I like Elijah Moore, but that's the thing, is like and I have an article, like I said, coming out later this week talking about just this. And it's those running backs in that eighth to ninth round pocket. And Khalil well, Herbert to, is uh to is even pull in another sure. one. To Scott's argument earlier in the show, which was echoing what my point was about drafting for upside, the upside of Juju Smith-Schuster at the same spot or Khalil Herbert potentially as the lead option in this back? Like, like yeah, why would you yeah. take Juju Smith-Schuster here? Just take Khalil yeah. Herbert. Right. Yeah, this isn't best ball. This isn't best ball. It's a season-long league. Like, Juju's upside is like, okay, he finishes his wide receiver 30. Herbert's upside is he's a top 15 running back. Like, that is yeah. absolutely in his range. Uh, Jake, this was awesome. You're awesome, like always. We appreciate you coming <laughs> on. Appreciate you spelling some wisdom and really uh, kind of just breaking down really the whole second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth years of running backs with Scott and I today. Uh, anything you want to plug? Anything you got coming up? Anything you're excited about? Uh, yeah. I know you want to talk about your Mets, so we can do that if you want. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. I Hey, yeah. I was thrilled what they did at the deadline, the most expensive prospect purchasing in the history of baseball like True. I, i'm excited for back though yeah, yeah i'm excited for next year and beyond it's been miserable but at least hey i can completely tune out baseball for the past month and get straight into football that was nice uh but that's that's what it is being a Met fan oh perpetually excited for next season yeah 100 percent. and then by the all-star break you're like well it's football time as it, as it always should be but uh uh yes yeah, god actually teed up my the question before which led into i'm going to do my biggest adp versus projections differences but versus projections to kind of go into what we were talking about today like it's not why are the projections so different than the adp there's more context to it behind there but um also if, if people haven't been listening now new sirius xm show 9 to 11 a.m on saturdays so start off your weekend as uh, nando would say start off your weekend wakey wakey with eggs and jakey as nando would say i hate nando <laughs> defino for that one <laughs> that's great that's very nice well wake up with jake on saturdays on sirius xm <laughs> uh jake you you were fantastic make sure you follow jake Thank on you. twitter at all in kid uh for scott i'm graham thanks for listening guys uh